Hi there, and welcome to the Alcahan Podcast, the podcast that says, Spartans, prepare for glory! I'm EJ. I'm Beth. And tonight, we're going to get started talking about some weapons utilized by ancient warriors. I initially wanted to talk about grills. You know, Weber. Yeah, no, I didn't want to talk about dental bling. <laughs> but... I did go down the rabbit hole a little bit, but I tried to stay within pop culture. So tonight we're going to fire it off, because I like to say fire it off on almost every episode, with the Spartans. Spartans are one of the most renowned warrior races of the ancient world. Their whole culture was built around armed conflict. And the Spartan armament consisted of a spear called a dory. And it was between seven and nine feet long. It was for use one-handed. And it was made with a bronze or an iron head. And the shaft was made of cornell wood, which is really dense. Like, you shouldn't build ships out of it because it'll sink in water. Really? Yeah. Also, I wonder how it would work in, like, a wood stove. I've never heard of it before now. Well, it's not a native wood for around where we live. Well, I imagine not. But their secondary weapon was a sword. Typically... A Zephus, or Zephos, excuse me, a short, a short sword. Wow, already with the speech impediment. Great. Uh, the average length of it was 12 to 18 inches. Short swords work better for the phalanx formation, which is what they do when they bundle with the shields and they form a wall and then another wall behind and them. badass. Well, they did look pretty awesome, but... When you have a long sword, if you're all packed in like that, and then another army smashes against you, you don't want a big broadsword trying to swing it around because you're just smashed in. So you want something short that you can stab with. And they could also go for a sword called the Copus, which is the sword depicted in 300, that one-handed kind of cleaver-looking sword. And when the Spartans are depicted in the Athenian artwork because they weren't very nice to the Athenians. They're shown holding those because those are like Who the... were the Spartans nice to? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> if you left them alone, I suppose, but somebody always had to stir the pot. Well, I don't know. Or nice to someone, I suppose. Maybe like their pet dog. <clears throat> but the Athenians really didn't like them because they kick their butts one time and then well the spartans were awesome they took it pretty personal 300 was a great movie yeah 300 the second time was also a good movie the rise of an empire yeah yeah i agree themistocles is a pretty badass athenian though isn't he he's not a spartan yeah um, but they Not also to had their... Spartan men were nice to look at in the movie 300 and 300 times 2. Times 2. <laughs> their shield, they uh, they had that large round shield with the triangle on it. You, you ever notice they had the triangle symbol on everything in the 300 movie? Because this is probably the closest thing that... To be honest, that's not what I was looking at in that movie. Well, to be fair, you were. Because that triangle shape was apparently a little phallic that was a symbol of manhood. Or as like 
Romans would say Virtus. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, and they really did say, come home with your shield or on it, which means win or die. They were pretty much Don't come solid. home a loser. Well, if you if you lose, you're in trouble because you're dishonored. But the shield and the dory were the main things. They could do the whole porcupine-looking ball thing you remember from the movie or <laughs> anything like that. Okay, enough about the Spartans. The samurai, or the bushi. Uh, they, they carry their, their two swords, the daisho, or daisho. And that really translates literally to big and small. Big being either a katana or a tachi, and the small being either a wakazashi or a tanto. And the wakazashi just looks like a smaller katana. And the tanto is the knife that is like a sharp angle for the tip. It's okay. kind of triangular shaped. And then they... Uh, thinking back on the Tom Cruise Last Samurai right now. I expected that's where this conversation would go. I did not get into any of the firearms or anything like that. This is not a comprehensive list of everything everybody here uses. And it's not a comprehensive list of ancient warriors. Because some people don't have enough information out there because people don't want to make movies or something about them. The samurai also used the Yumi. And this is an asymmetrical longbow. It's constructed of composites of materials like bamboo, wood, retin, which would be like uh, climbing palm trees, like uh, softer wood, softer and leather. Softer than bamboo? Yeah. Yes. And since it was asymmetrical, it was as effective on horsebacks as it was on foot. And later in samurai history, they had a special ceremony, and the name escapes me because I did not write it down because I knew I wouldn't be able to pronounce it, where they showed off their mounted archery skills. And they also used some pole arms. The yari, which was a longer, thinner blade than a western spear, or a naganita, which was like a spear with a curved sword attached to it. Which one was it that they used when they would kill themselves rather than dishonoring themselves? Um, no, that that would not have been a spear. That was one of their little. That would have been like a tanto. Yeah, that you don't use a spear to disembowel yourself. Well, hurry, hurry. Yeah. All right. And this is in no particular historical order either. We'll move on to gladiators. And I'm only naming a few types of gladiators because there are a ton of types of gladiators. And before you ask me any question about one specific type of gladiator, let me get through my list. And You know me so well. The very last one I'm going to talk about is the one you're going to ask me about, I'm 90% sure. So, <laughs> the hoplomaches, which are based on the Greek hoplites. Their main weapon was a spear, but they were also equipped with a small round shield, usually attached to the right hand. And for backup, they had a dagger or a gladius, a small straight Roman sword. What happens if they were left-handed? I don't know. I suppose they would switch it up and really mess with the other gladiators. That's a good call. Or ambidextrous. <laughs> but just so you know, um, the word gladius is also quite phallic in nature. Kind of like your Spartan triangle that you weren't looking at. That word pretty much translates to mean the same. Well, for the gladiator things we were looking at, I can tell you, too, I've 
wasn't really looking at the weapons. You were looking at the Gladius. The Mermillo, the hometown hero. The guy with the fish on his helmet. The tanks. They're pretty heavily armored, so they're equipped with only a Gladius and a large rectangular shield, like a Legionnaire style, because they were the local BMFs. They were my favorite type of gladiator, honestly, because them helmets are super cool. Those helmets, not them helmets. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Thrax, or Thracian, they had a small shield called a Parmula. It could be round or square. It didn't have to be one or the other. And a curved Thracian sword called a Sika. And no, I know you're asking me this, and I'm going to tell you now. Spartacus did not... I know he didn't. He did not, but he did use Sikas. Really? Yeah. He did not use Gladius. How many times have we watched that? I'm going to have to watch it again. Yep. And uh, the Radiarius. They, these guys handled all their gladiator business with a net and a trident. See, that's which... what I was going to ask you about. Really? Yeah. Well, I was wrong then, because I have one more just to name drop, and that's the Dimacheris. And they're the ones with the two swords. And I figured you were going to ask me about those. No, I was going to ask if they got to pick what they wanted to do, because who the hell would want the net? And... No, you, I'm, you're a slave. You're going to do what you're told. I would be so sad if I got stuck with the net. I don't know. If you're a good ready area, <laughs> you could fight two guys at once. There, like, there are stories of battles where there's a ready area up on an elevated platform fighting two other gladiators, and the platform was like up above some water, and he would fight them off as they're climbing up to try to get to him. One dude with a net and a trident fighting two dudes trying to get up to him. Pretty awesome. But Although, I'd... having watched Spartacus, I do like the two swords. It's a lot of fun to watch. You're right. So much blood. But I didn't get into the gladiators that specifically fought beasts or anything like that here. Because everybody has a weapons class. There's pretty limited deviation, and there are a lot of different styles of gladiators. Like the Provocateur, which is a sweet name. Onwards! Back to the east. Ninja! Throwing stars. Oh, the sword of choice first was most likely a katana. Because they could use it for all sorts of things. Like, they could use the sheath to feel around in the dark. They would slide it out of the holder and use it like a walking stick when it was pitch black. Or to get over walls, they would actually lean their katanas up and then use it as a step. I mean, Those are some they, pretty mighty blades. They didn't really waste time with anything. The ninja were pretty straightforward. They were mostly peasants, and a lot of their weapons actually were based on farm implements. So they could say they weren't armed. They just had their tools. But... The Kusarigama, it was also used, and it was the sickle with the chain attached to it, and at the other end of the chain was a weight, and they could swing that weight around and clobber somebody and then use the sickle part to finish the job. Well, that's brutal. Yeah. And now the Shuriken. That's your throwing stars, darts, knives, and spikes, like caltrop stuff, you can sprinkle it down and step on, ouch, 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 my feet, because we don't have solid, sold shoes usually. And Throwing knives are awesome. Throwing knives are pretty flipping cool. And, 
for the last part, the part that's nearest and dearest to your heart at the moment because of the hit History Channel TV show, we'll talk about the Vikings. Woohoo! Bow and arrow. They had some of the best bows in the ancient world. Ancient being kind of a relative term here because they were up to like the 12th, 13th century. But they had like, some of them had a 130 pound draw weight. 130 pound draw weight. The strongest bow I ever pulled back had a 90 pound draw weight. And that's way, way over what people normally use. You're talking modern composite bows, compound bows, top end of 65 usually for regular production bows. I might be wrong, but most of the hunters I know don't have anything even close to that. I mean, they had a length of measurement called a bow shot in Viking terminology, and that was 800 feet. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's they're strong, strong bows, because they were strong dudes. And dudettes. Well, I don't think that upper body strength translates as well lower body strength is yeah i understand that but i'm just saying physiology 130 pound draw is gonna make me grunt (laughs) seriously that's a lot of oomph and spears that was actually the vikings principal weapon and they used three kinds a hooked spear a chopping spear which sounds pretty nasty when you think about it but i don't know that hook spear could be just devastating and throwing spears and the hook spears and chopping spears were generally a lot more ornate than the throwing spears because you would throw them and not yeah, get them back exactly and they used two main kinds of knives the knifer k-n-i-f-r which was a plain looking everyday blade and a lot of those have been found in viking graves or the cx or cx or sex or sex or i'm not sure the pronunciation S-E-A-X, which is a heavier and more of a machete-style weapon because swords are expensive. And if you can make something similar that can kind of be used the same way but have more than one use, more utilitarian is more the Viking style. But they did use some swords. Like I said, they're expensive, and really they were mostly a status symbol because only the really well-to-do Vikings could afford a sword. Unless they maybe found one and stole it, but who knows, tribute to the Jarl or whatever. Pillage. And lastly, the axe. The Mammon axe is the one typically portrayed in pop culture. The one that they could hook in their belt and swing one-handed and use a shield and throw it and do all sorts of utilitarian tasks with it. But there's a larger one. It's a two-handed axe, and they call it the Dane axe. And it just doesn't get the love the other one does. But they kind of pushed on for those battle axes and stuff that happened later. They were the ones that pioneered the axe tech for the more modern ancient warrior. (laughs) That sounds weird. Retro mod? I'm not sure. But that's all that I have for this episode. Well, my topic does not coincide with your deadly weapons at all. I'm so shocked. Um, my topic actually has a pretty sad beginning. It started with the kidnapping of the 20-month-old Charles Lindbergh in 1932. And 
Unfortunately, poor Charles being kidnapped and later found dead brought about the invention of the baby monitor. The baby's was he Charles Lindbergh Jr.? Possibly, yes. Okay. Yes, he was. I wrote that down. Okay, good. I was like, wait a minute. Glad you know everything. I know some things. Um, Eugene F. McDonald Jr., the president of the Zenith Radio Corporation, actually developed and cobbled together a system so he could hear what was happening in his daughter's room after the Lindbergh Lindbergh baby was stolen. I can't say that I blame him because Zenith is a household name also at that time. Um, he constructed his in 1932, and unfortunately for the rest of the world, the Zenith Radio Corporation didn't introduce the first commercially sold baby monitor until 1937. Well, in 1932, though, uh, having one doesn't mean you could use one. You're talking right in the center of the Great Depression. Yeah. And if you had electricity, you... When you'd plug something in, you would have to unscrew the light bulb and screw your appliance into the light socket because we didn't have the two-pronged jacks or anything yet. But I guess at baby's bedtime, if you have a light bulb in the room. Um, The first baby monitor was actually called the radio nurse. The way it worked was there was a transmitter that plugged in near the child's crib that would transmit audio to a receiver that could be placed by the parent's bed. And the quality really wasn't the greatest. Um, quite often, you'd pick up the random radio channels. Oh, I'm sure. The FCC wasn't quite as strict then, I suppose. Right. And Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Which leads into why wireless baby monitors use different radio frequencies now. Um, they actually have designated frequencies by the government for unlicensed use. In North America, those frequencies are near 49 megahertz, 902 megahertz, or 2.4 gigahertz that are available for private use. Also used by aliens. (laughs) The frequencies are not assigned to powerful television or radio broadcasting transmitters, but interference still can happen. Um... From other wireless devices like cordless phones, radar, or even microwave ovens, which I know in our own house, if the microwave's running, our baby we monitor static, sounds yeah. different. There really hasn't been that many huge advances in the baby monitor system. Like, there's been changes throughout history and everything. Obviously. But basically, the same concept that he came up with yeah. is still in use today. Well, how else would you do it? I mean, you have a receiver and a transmitter. That's all you need. Um, they have switched to, if you choose to buy it, a digital audio wireless system using the DECT, which stands for Digital Enhanced Cordless Telecommunications. And they're resistant to interference and have a range of 300 meters. No. Some monitors are using analog audio transmissions that can be picked up at a distance from the home by a scanner receiver or even your neighbor's baby monitor, depending upon how close you live to your neighbor. I know that I can pick up our baby monitor with my scanner, but I I have to program in the frequency. It's not hard to do. You just select the band. Which is also an issue for a lot of parents in this day and age. 
um, the baby monitoring system has advanced to the point now where you can have the video right along with and it's a security risk for a lot of parents because there's lots and lots of scary people well you seen the news story with the people that hack into the monitors because they have them connected to Wi-Fi. Yeah. And I still don't think that's a great idea. Which we'll get into a little bit. Um, In the 1980s, the Fisher-Price nursery monitor came out on the market, and it featured many new selling points, such as it was battery-operated, so you could carry it with you. That is handy. And the receiver featured a clip. So you could clip it onto your clothing. And you wouldn't be locked down in the bedroom if baby was taking a nap. Correct. If you needed to go to the basement to do a load of laundry or something, you could take it along with. Many people state that this was the beginning of helicopter parenting. Well, I could see that too because you know what's going on all the time. Which our baby monitor can be unplugged from the electrical hookup. And carried with for our receiver part in our room, which we've done before, but most of the time anymore, our children are old enough that the baby monitor is a source of entertainment it for is me. Comedy gold. Because it doesn't matter that the baby monitor has been in the baby's room since the baby was born. Everybody forgets it's there when mom it's, and dad aren't within hearing distance of that room. It's totally the same syndrome that happens when you're first exposed to security cameras versus after you've been constantly bombarded with it. You just forget or ignore it. And some of the conversations and things that they say, well worth leaving it plugged in. (laughs) It's a source of entertainment. Um, In the early 2000s, the video baby monitors hit the market. And it's to the point today that you can even make the choice to buy baby monitors that have cameras that can be connected to your smartphone. So even if you're miles, states, whatever away, you can tap into your baby monitor at home and see what's going on. See, I see the good and bad with that, especially for parents with children in daycare. The daycare cams, I think those are a great idea, but I... You know, you've got black hat hackers out there that will do nefarious things. And it makes me nervous. Yeah, we've never had a video baby monitor. No. And in all fairness, the baby monitor is more of a fail-safe for us. Because our house really isn't that big that we couldn't hear them if we wanted to. It just makes it easier. I don't know. If we're far enough away... You know, in our bedroom to their bedroom, we can't hear them. But, you know, our house has this magical feature where if a parent is in the bathroom and the children are outside the door, they can't hear the parent. It's magic. It is magic. You could be in there yelling, hey, I need some toilet paper for a good 10 minutes before somebody actually knows you're in need. That's why you bring your phone and hope the spouse is close. (laughs) And depending upon how much a person wants to spend on the monitor that they choose, um, you can actually get monitors now that can tell you if your baby hasn't moved in a while, which has actually been a boom to the decline in SIDS deaths. Well, that's a good thing. But, you know, when, when we were brand new parents... I didn't have my LASIK surgery done yet, and 
I used to take off my glasses and go by my oldest son and hold my glasses under his nose because babies sleep really still and you can't always tell if they're breathing. And I'd watch my glasses fog up and then I'd be like, okay, not on my watch. And I did that a lot. We were very fortunate with four children to never have a scare like that. The closest thing we had was when the oldest ate the lanolin. <laughs> that wasn't on my watch. No, that was totally my fault. And the poison control lady almost laughed at me. She's like, he might have diarrhea. <laughs> like, that's not nice. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't. But I was surprised, actually, how little baby monitors have changed since they first came out. You can't really improve on the design of a baby monitor and i couldn't imagine not having a baby monitor especially in the early baby days yeah when you were a helicopter parent when i was a helicopter parent that baby monitor went everywhere with me yes it did we we should have invested in some uh, energizer battery stock especially with that first baby monitor that was not rechargeable yeah the rechargeable one has been wonderful and we just leave it plugged in all the time We do, unless the air is blowing the wrong direction and it gets too staticky and we have to move it across the room that night. Yeah, other than that, no qualms. But, you know, some of our Facebook friends, and our real-life friends that are on Facebook, rather, have posted some funny monitor videos, most recently being uh, Devin and Shannon. Yes. And some of the videos from the video monitors are incredibly entertaining. Kind of wish we had one sometimes. Little demon babies. It's awesome. Although, I'm still saying, as our children get older, it's more of a source of an entertainment thing than a, a source oh, yeah. of I need to get to you thing because I can listen to conversations that they don't think I even know are going on. And they are some of the funniest conversations because when kids are away from grown-ups, kids are a lot more grown-up than we give them credit for. They definitely hear everything you say. Which sometimes some of those Spartan battles can be heard from our children across the baby monitor. That is the absolute truth. But that's all I have. If people are interested in finding us, we have a Twitter and a Facebook page. Yes, uh, Alka, huh? Podcast, excuse me, on Facebook. And our Twitter is alcohol underscore on Facebook. Um, If you want to get in touch with us the old-fashioned way, we are alcohol at gmail.com. And if you would like, we'd appreciate some reviews on whatever podcatching service you are using, even if it's just a like or some stars, especially on iTunes. uh, That would be great. But if you're finding us for the first time, we welcome you. And please listen back to our previous episodes. Yeah. Um, Go ahead and get in touch with us, guys. We uh, know you're listening. We see the metrics. So give us a shout out. Say hello. We'll probably read what you say on the air. That makes you feel any better. We like to name drop. We do. But until next time, I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Oh, and a slight disclaimer at the end of the podcast. We know this is dropping late. We were in an ice storm. So don't be mad at us. Be mad at Mother Nature. Yeah, darn Mother Nature. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.